Good afternoon, Natalie. How are you? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for being our guest today. Um, just a quick introduction. I'm the president of Unity and Diversity Foundation. We are 501c3 Foundation, and our mission and vision is multicultural awareness and education in our community. And we are doing a series of what we call difficult conversations. And we are doing these series to um, make this as a platform for people to um, be able to get answers to questions that may be difficult or uncomfortable for them to ask themselves to people um, around them. Um, so we're, we're bringing up these awkward, difficult uh, conversations uh, with the mission, with the intent to um, provide more education and awareness to our community. So I really thank you for um, being here today and helping us know what it's like to walk in your shoes. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be happy to answer any questions that I can. Thank you. So first of all, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us more about yourself. And uh, what do you see as the significance of having this conversation? So my name is Natalie Doman. I am a graphic artist, um, a photographer, and just a regular artist out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, during the day, I'm a behavior technician. So I work with children with autism and help to modify their behaviors so they're better introduced into society and they're more successful in their life. Um, I see the benefits of this conversation because there is so much going on in the world today that I think people are just, they're, um, they're grabbing at information, but they also um, are having a problem with funneling where their information is coming from and seeing what's correct, what's accurate, what is beneficial, what is damaging. And I think conversations like these, where they're from, minorities or people of color or the people that are on the front lines of what they're dealing with are incredibly important. I think one of the most important things we can do for each other is just simply sit down and listen. Um, and I see a lot of these springing up where I, this, you're like actually the second or third panel that I've been asked to sit on. And I think it's important because my entire life, I have had an issue with being silenced. Uh, well, I'll, I'll touch into that more a little bit later, but like my knowledge is not important. My voice is not important. My experience is not important. And for the first time in 37 years, I feel like I'm able to sit down and just explain my experience and breathe and actually be myself and, and not put on an, I, I came up with a term, an armor, an armor of, um, uh, what did they call it yesterday? Like an armor of blackness almost, or like <laughs> seriously, because it's like, it, it's every day you have to prepare yourself mentally, physically, if you're assaulted, um, and it gets to be exhausting. And these kinds of conversations allows us to sit down and take that armor off and just be who we are without any kind of expectation, without any kind of um, weight on our shoulders about what we have to bring to the table, um, are you going to share your experience so that I can benefit or it's just sharing your experience to share your experience and that's why I'm happy to be here because I'm just going to share my experience. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And you know what? You are bringing a lot to the table just by sharing your experience. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So tell us what it's like for you. Give us an idea of what it was like for you growing up as you grew up. First, how do you identify yourself? And then walk us through a little bit of your childhood till today. 
uh, and what shaped you to be who you are? So I made that face <laughs> because I'm probably one, I have a very bizarre experience, um, but I'm realizing that more people are having the experience that I'm having. Um, like I said earlier, I'm 37 years old. I grew up in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. I grew up north by Scranton. I was in between Philadelphia and New York. And sometimes my accent will even come out. So I grew up in a city, but it was a highly, it was segregated to a point, not too much as um, where I am now. So I identify, this is a good question, because this goes into part like I was never able to answer this. I was not allowed to be who I was. I, I say that I identify as biracial, but I actually more identify as just a person. Because the more that I grow and that I learn about myself and that I learn about science, while genetics are important and while the science actually continues to be explored, you and I could be closer in DNA than me and my father. And, and that's what drives me nuts about <laughs> why people, like, there's not just black or white or Asian. Like, like we have all of these components put into us. And, like, people get so confused when I go out. They'll speak to me in Spanish. They'll speak to me in, like, any kind of dialect of Cuban. People thought I was uh, Filipino at one time, depending on how I had my hair. So it's, like, to me, saying that you're black or white is more a cultural signifier to people. I'm black, therefore I'm, I'm lower on the totem pole or I don't have that much money or I listen to hip-hop. I'm white. I'm educated. I have good manners, I whatever. I see, that's, that's what I've lived through, okay? And it's, it's driving me nuts. So let me back up a little bit there too. I was born in Wilkes-Barre. My mom is Czechoslovakian and Polish. She was adopted actually by a Polish family and she is Czechoslovakian and even Irish. And she was adopted out of New York City. My father is from West Africa. He traced his roots back. Um, there is some Native American in there somewhere, but he doesn't know, and he traced our roots back to the slave trade. Now, that's why I said this is going to be kind of emotional, because, like, my parents have been doing the legwork to find out what our culture is, like, what our heritage is and where we came from. Um, my experience growing up, I'll say as succinctly as I can, it has been incredibly emotional. Um, it has been hurtful and painful. It has also been one of the most empowering things I think anyone has ever been through because somebody pointed out to me in a way that like really it shook me. I have the face of a black woman, but my mother is a white woman. And she was like, you're never going to be able to relate to your mom on that level. And it's true. So like whenever we would get pictures taken while I look like my mom and stuff, there's always going to be that filter and that barrier of difference. Not only that, growing up, I, grew, I was born in 1983. So in 1983, people were still being like lynched. They were still being, I mean, like, like worse than today. Having a, a black or biracial child back then was extremely risky. Like it was, it was not really common. And then my, my stepfather was white. My brother was white. I lived in a white household and I looked like this. So I struggled a lot with my identity growing up. My mom straightened my hair. You know, she said that I wanted it straight and I wanted it straight because I was tired of being bullied about having kinky, nappy hair by kids that I went to school with. My hair was pulled all the time. I was teased. I was called nigger. I was called fudge sickle. And this wasn't just the kids in school. This was my family. 
Um, one of the things that I really want to touch on is that white women, white men, white people can date or have children or have relationships with black people or people of color. They can absolutely be racist. Uh, my mom and I have been having conversations, you know, recently about things that she could have done differently or maybe even stronger in her voice growing up. My, my parents are very passive. Oh, just ignore it. It'll go away. Don't worry about that. Don't fight this. Don't do that. And friends that I've had in the circle that were black or African-American were like, no, absolutely stand up for yourself. Say no, fight, um, do what you need to do because um, this, I'm going to get emotional at this. Um, honestly, growing up as a black or biracial woman is a, is a means of survival. You have to survive. People are going to try to rob you. They're going to try to steal from you. They're going to try to sexually take advantage of you. I know so many people that have had similar experiences. There are the few and far that say, no, they, they've never experienced that. And they are absolutely like blessed and lucky. Um, but for whatever reason, because we are seen lower on the societal pole, we are taken advantage of more. And it's because people think that we're dumber, not as educated or whatever. So like I said earlier about putting on your armor of blackness, it's like as a child, I would have this armor on. So I would, you know, walk into whatever place. I was very quiet. Now people would be like, Natalie never shuts up. And it's because as a child, I was listening. I was listening for people to say that nigger kid over there or, you know, oh, look at that little black baby. You know, like, why is she here? Like, I don't know, and just listen to the condescending tones and try to realize who I can and cannot trust. Um, and then as I got older, like I kind of tried to like shut that off more, but at the same time, like it's still on. Like I literally feel like I'm walking around like this, like all the time because I, I don't know, just the stuff that I've experienced, um, it hasn't necessarily been the most positive. But like I said about empowering, um, I do see that I have the best of both worlds um, now that I'm older, um, now that I've established myself as a person. And it's because I, I, live, I live in what's considered kind of the hood of Carlisle. Like, I like it here. I don't know. It's got, it's got, some, it's got culture. And that's another thing, too. People refer to the hood when there's culture. But I like it here. And I have found that the way that I look and I identify more as racially ambiguous that's actually what I identify as because I, I you, you could put me in any box and put my picture next to anybody. And it's funny when people even ask me if I'm Indian, when my hair is straight and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's like you can. Um, but I identify more as racially ambiguous and that helps me. It has helped me communicate to both, to all ethnicities, to be honest with you. I feel blessed in the fact that I can go to a, uh, what do they call that? Um, I want to say Feliz Cumpleanos, but that's happy birthday. But the, the 16th birthday party for the Spanish people, like I've been invited to those. I've been invited to bar mitzvahs. Um, I, I go to get pasanki, which is like a Polish wafer, and I can communicate to um, Caucasian people comfortably. I can come to whatever hood, I'm in playing rap music and hip hop and nobody's going to really, I mean, they might look at me, but like, they're not, you know, I don't feel judged for it. So I kind of feel like my, like my ambiguousness and big ambiguity <laughs> lets me blend in more 
a little bit with society than if I was just straight white or straight black. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out that's actually really humorous, and I was gonna um, try to find the picture of this on my phone. Whenever I get pulled over, or whenever I go to the doctors or the hospital, they always put my race down as white. And at first I thought they were maybe like trolling me, like they were, <laughs> like they were being funny, but like I took a couple African dance classes. I mean, I, I always take African dance, but a couple people have said to me, like you really don't look African or black. And like when I stand next to people, like they'll say that like joking around, they're like, you know, the whole colorism thing, like you're, you're light, you're yellow. Like I'm known as high yellow. Like if we were back in the slave days, like I'm yellow, but like, I don't know, people in higher places of authority, like always seem to put me down as white. And I don't understand that phenomenon. I kind of want to explore it more. I want to go to some protests and like smash some windows and see how they'll treat me based on the way that I look. Like, I'm curious, like, like, <laughs> not really, but I, I'm, I really wonder, like, what is it about me that makes you think that I identify as that? more than one thing or the other. I identify as both equally, and I think that confuses people sometimes too. I mean, I have a black father and my mom is white, so like they're both in me, and my face is this lovely caramel shade, but I'm, I don't identify as just black or white or one or the other. Like, I mean, I'm everything. And Barack Obama kind of even like towed the line with that um, and how people would respond to it. People were confused. They didn't know what box to put them in. We have a black president and he's like, no, I'm not really black. I'm black and, you know, white. And people were like, <laughs> so that's a little bit about um, my experience growing up and my experience now and how I identify. Wow. Thank you. That was a lot. And uh, a lot of what you said sparked a whole bunch of new questions, but I you know, want to give you this platform. I will ask a couple of questions though. Um, the way you you talked about your mother treating you, you use the word racism. How would you distinguish between the word racism and colorism? With your mother treating you poorly, if you will, was that because of race or was it more because of color? Do you distinguish between those two? So this is going to get very um, touchy about my life and I'm okay with opening up about this. And I mean, my mom's going to see this too. She knows I'm talking about it. It's my time to talk and I'm going to talk. And I'm going to, like I said, I've been holding this in for 37 years. Growing up, my father was in jail. Um, he was a statistic. She would tell me whenever I spoke out against her about anything, you're going to end up in jail like your dad. That's where you belong. Um, I forgive her. And it's not, I, you know, people go through stuff and they change. Um, I think having my dad in that population, again, kind of gave me the perception that um, black males were treated terribly um, for a long time. And, you know, it was, it was like a minor charge. It wasn't anything. He's in and out for like a long time. But um, as far as colorism, well, even, even my stepdad, like, honestly, to this day, he talks down to me like I am an idiot. And, like, I will have to say, or I, I will readjust my vernacular 
and the way that I'm talking to him so that it's almost like they don't respect me. Like they think that I literally don't have like any, that I don't have any intelligence. Like it's wild. And like, I've been through some heavy duty stuff, you know, with, with like struggling with health and everything else. But like, I've, one thing about me is like, I've always been resilient and I've never given them any kind of, uh, inkling that I am what they think I am or how I am. Um, one thing I've, I've, so racism and colorism, and one major difference I've noticed is, um, I don't know if it's instilled in our genes or if I picked it up from hanging out with my, my dad or like other family members, but like I'm able to express my emotions and be direct. And that scares people a lot. They're not used to that in our society, in our culture, and it seems scary. And that's why when a group of like black people get together and they're being loud and they're boisterous, even if it's fun or whatever, like it, it's, it's a lot energetically and people don't know how to handle that. But my mother um, has told me that she struggled with like basically her view of like black people. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, she said growing up, she grew, like my, my grandfather was racist. Think about that for a second. Take that in. So my grandparents kicked my mom out when she said she was having me because I was a nigger. I mean, that's how it is. And then my grandfather started taking to me because as a child, I went up to him and I, I just reached my arms out and he couldn't hate trying to love him because I didn't see it as a kid. To me, that was, that was granddad. Um, and he was straight off the boat, you know, Polish, like first or second generation you know, and like, they were very staunch. And, um, but you know, my mom, one thing I have to say about her is like, however somebody would describe her back in the day, she was resilient too. She continued to just like break down these barriers and to say the hell with like whatever. And this is how I'm, I'm going to see it. Um, my father, I would say more so interestingly enough, um, had colorism. Uh, Good example, when I was born, he told my mom that I was too light to be his baby. So um, my father had no concept of genetics and um, yeah, didn't, I, he, didn't, he didn't really understand that. So I think that's, hopefully that, that answers your question a little bit about why. I mean, she did admit it and then just some of the stuff that I, I've seen and heard come out of her mouth and even my, my stepdads and other people and I see it a lot with people that um are in the same family dynamic as I am too it's weird it's almost like like they see us as people but then they're like we're always below them in some way it's weird thank you for sharing that and um and I know how difficult these conversations are and that's the reason why we're having these conversations so that people who've never had the opportunity to learn these things about you and other people who've been through what you've been through sort of get a keyhole view if you will and hopefully understand that folks like yourselves come from a place of a lot of pain a lot of confusion um, and therefore, your interaction with the world is always, I guess, 
uh, coming from a place of fear, caution, doubt, lack of love, lack of trust. Um, so again, I know these are difficult and thank you for putting yourself out there. <laughs> That's my daughter here. <laughs> I was waiting for <laughs> Well, we're skating after this, okay? <laughs> so uh, thank you for putting yourself out there and uh, making yourself vulnerable and opening up about these. But I think these are the conversations we need to have amongst ourselves because everyone's experience is different. So everyone comes from a different place. They come with a different set of baggage. But that, and I, and I don't mean to use the word baggage in a derogatory way, but we all have our burdens to bear. We all come with these different burdens to the table. And, but we, if we don't know the other person's burden, we may fail to understand why they are interacting with us the way they are. So once we know a little bit about their background and burdens, it may help us relate with them a little better and hopefully help us have a little more empathy, compassion, and even just education and awareness of how to communicate with people. So again, I thank you very much for saying that. You've shared with us, you know, a lot of the painful and humiliating experiences you had to endure growing up. Is there any one particular incident that you'd like to share? I yes. mean, no, just, I think yeah. what your mother said to you, I can't um, <laughs> more painful than that. I, I, I have one that's been like on the back of my mind. You know, they say, they say, don't ever make a person who has a strong focus upset. And it's crazy. I don't know if it's because I'm a Capricorn or what my deal is or just a woman. But like, I can remember <laughs> stuff like it happened yesterday. So when I was uh, 16 years old, I was going to this church and it was prom at school. This kid, you know, asked me to prom, got my dress, everything. And uh, then his friend called me and said he can't go because his parents don't like, you guessed it, black, black people. Uh, he didn't want to tell me that. So fast forward, you know, 20 some years, and guess who's frontline marching at Black Lives Matter? It's this kid. And I, 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 I so, and we live in the same town too. I, I, I'm like, God, karma is like crazy. I so just want to go up to him and be like, are your parents cool with black people now? <laughs> like, and I, I don't mean to be like a, you know, a, like a butt about it, but like, it's like stuff like that is incredibly painful. If you let it, I could just imagine what some of my friends would have, you know, how they would have handled it. And it bothered me so much because, um, this guy like put on this, like, you know, all inclusive face. I felt like I was literally like welcomed into his family and everything. But as soon as it came to going in the public, no, 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 we don't do that. Um, so he has to go with somebody that's white and I've had that experience a lot. So, but that, that's one of the things that has, been really painful um, and kind of set the stage and tone for dating um, a lot, to be honest with you. Because it's, it, when I date, it's like the elephant in the room. Like, so are you okay with the fact that I'm not white? Like, if you're a white man. But then it's weird because I have a white mom. So again, it's like this barrier of blackness, you know, is like, are you okay with the fact that my dad, are you okay with the fact that my dad's black? Like, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, and I'm going to actually start verbalizing it that way. Like my mom's white, my dad's black. Are you okay with that? <laughs> like, there we go. 
this gentleman that you mentioned about that you had the opportunity to go with prom with and now that he's in the front line of the black lives matter have you had an opportunity to ask him about his journey from that day till now no but i've thought about it to be honest with you i yeah. thought about it and I, I, I don't mean to be i don't mean to be defensive or uh, or anything but I'm thinking of it, and this is just my perspective, and I have no clue who this gentleman is, and I have no clue what all, what all went on, what the dynamic was, but if I if, imagine myself in his shoes and say genuinely he did want to go to prom with you, but his parents were racist and did not allow him to go to the prom with you, to some extent, he too must have been hurt. May no, have been hurt. That's, that's kind of what I, like, I, I'm not, like, mad. But, like, I kind of want to know, like, how did that affect you back then, too? Exactly. You know what I mean? And maybe that could have been the nucleus of him wanting to finally, now that he's grown up and is able to identify himself and find the courage to speak up, he's drawing from that traumatic experience to finally say, okay, enough is enough, and I want to come out and say I support uh, the Black Lives Movement. Do you think that's a possibility, that his trauma is a source of his inspiration, too, today? I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to be no, optimistic. I, <laughs> no, I see it. No, I, I, I do. Um, I, this is like kind of off topic in a way too, but like it's, it's kind of important. I think that some people that have gone through like racist experiences or have been racist themselves, let me just add a footnote in here too. I actually have befriended quite a few neo-Nazi, like people that have reformed. And um, it's because again, for whatever reason, I was able to talk to them and also kind of like break down their barriers. And some people would say that it's because I'm a lady, you know, and like, <laughs> whatever. But like, the point is they still listen. And um, I think it's important. It's very important, especially if you're a white person watching this too. Um, do not make an enemy because somebody is deficit or has a deficit in understanding because you could be the catalyst for their change. And like, I'll tell you, I get pissed off too. Like I can get pretty heated. But if somebody says, I'm ready to talk or I'm ready to listen. All right. No, like, because communication is how things get changed. And that's the reason why I'm doing this. <laughs> and that's the reason why we're doing these series of difficult conversations so other people can get this information without having to put themselves in either my chair or your chair and actually have the conversation and hopefully, and, and that's education. So again, I thank you very much. And I know you have other commitments, so I'll move on to the next topic. I'm doing good on Zoom, to... actually. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, like, that's good. <laughs> So, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I think you did mention that you do take pride in identifying yourself in all the different facets that you identify yourself. But if you were to pinpoint on one thing that you draw upon to be proud of being who you are in spite of all the trauma and the pain you've gone through, what is your source of pride if you were to pick one? That's an interesting question too. And I, I, I've recently just been um, really looking at this because I have friends from all over walks of life. I do things that people would be like, oh, I didn't know you did that. Or like, aren't jocks not supposed to like be into like games or whatever. This, that, like they, people label people all the time. One of the things I think like my, like my situation and where my pride comes in is if you take the positives from all these cultures, um, again, my, my, my parents are American. I'm American, but like their culture and their heritage, like my stepdad is German. Excuse me. So let's take food as an example. Um, 
I can cook you some food from Zimbabwe. Um, you know, it's chicken and rice with different seasonings or whatever, and it's considered healing. Similar in India, similar in um, a lot of different places. I can make you some really good pierogies because I grew up making pierogies. And um, I think, honestly, now looking at it, that's probably why food is like one of my love languages because it's taking the positives from all these situations that I've been in and it's a gift that I'm able to share with people. And like, I cook a lot. So, I mean, like, I'm not going to like brag, but like my food's good. Like <laughs> I'll cook these sometimes. But um, I would say that it's because I'm more culturally aware. So like people become uncomfortable. Like I know people that were uncomfortable around Mennonites, right? Or Amish people. They're like, oh, they're, they're different than us. But it's like when you live your life as being different, it's almost like you can like, you live a different life. Like you, you get a more satisfied and richer life. So I can go up to the Amish and be like, Hey, you know, like, like, where's your shoe fly pie at? You know, <laughs> and not feel awkward. Like it's, they'll just look at me like, okay, she wants some shoe fly pie. The other thing is I think people get weird about, they think people are watching them or judging them all the time or something, whatever. And like, my strength growing up and even like one of my strongest traits is probably my resiliency and simply just not giving a shit what people think because when you like and excuse my language but i'm real and i'm raw but like when you grow up and and like people like again about surviving and your dad's in jail you know and your mom had this like big you know affair fiasco and stuff like that it's like dude come on like i mean my life is not like on paper glorious or beautiful but the things that I've learned because I've lived that life and like just experienced have been nothing but beautiful I will say that positively people have been very supportive over what's going on at this time my black friends white friends French friends Spanish friends anything like I have people reaching out from all over the world and they're asking and it's kind of almost like overwhelming what can we do for you today the other thing is they're allowing me to sit in my anger. If, if I'm angry, they understand it. And, and I think that's one of the most, to put it simply, beautiful things about the culture that I have is that um, while I was silenced growing up and felt like I didn't have a voice, now I feel like my voice is so loud that it can shatter down any barrier that's put up. And that is, I'm, I'm getting used to that because it's kind of like you know watching a baby bird learn to fly or talk, but they're going to peep and then they're going to be like, ah. <laughs> so that's kind of what it's been like for me. Awesome. So if there's someone out there who can relate with you and is struggling with identifying themselves or struggling with being silenced or struggling to figure out how to speak up, um, what words of advice or what suggestions would you have for them to, you know, find their way and, uh, be in a safe and happy space and accepting themselves and you know drawing on their own strengths I actually just recently um, had contact I have a friend that has a black son and she's in the same she's her son is her, her son is me and they're having like family struggles and stuff and I, I, I just simply asked do you think that he's struggling because he can't relate to you and she said possibly and um, one of the things I'm trying to do more of is make myself more available to children. I've always, I've always kind of worked with children and stuff, 
but like if they're struggling be be around the children directly and simply like just give them tools um that even though somebody says or does something to you you don't necessarily have to react react and reaction is not bad but it's how are you going to let it affect you to this day i would say that if anybody's watching this and they can relate um find literally find your own power what are you good at and and like get away from like seeing the negative in okay well i can't relate or i can't do this for me it's art and it's dance and when i shine in those arenas people don't they don't notice that like you know or i mean like they'll see that like i this is my culture and this is what i look like but they're not looking at me as that they're looking at me as okay the person that is really good at dancing i will say this too this is important you're gonna have to work harder you're gonna have to work 150 percent harder than white people are in any arena and you're gonna have to get used to it you're gonna do something and you're gonna outshine and you're gonna outsmoke somebody and i'll tell you this as a woman with men you can be in technology you can be in finance they're always going to look at you like you're nothing you're, you're nowhere near their caliber and you can surpass them in it i deal with this a lot too but the thing is don't let it stop you just continue to do it um because and again like as a as a woman you know business owner yourself too like people are gonna they're gonna wait for you to fail that's what they're they're gonna want you to fail and you just got to keep going and you got to keep dancing you got to keep doing your programming coding you got to keep doing your finance and you can just tell these people, you know what, like, see you later, dude. I'm over here and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on myself. That's it. Focus on yourself. Awesome. And thank you again. Thank you very much for that. I hope somebody listening to this can really find strength from your recommendation advice. So thank you for sharing that. And finally, our last question for today would be for somebody who cannot relate with you, does not relate with you because they don't have anything in common with you, but yet they want to show support and solidarity. What are some things they can do to express that they genuinely want to support you or what are some things they should avoid uh, because that undermines their efforts to um, support you? The biggest thing that I can say that I, I have, again, that's just like, it, it, it's not just in, in the back of my mind too, because I, I, I've been listening to friends to say about this too, is just listen for Pete's sake. Like, just listen, like, you don't have to like, oh my gosh, like you don't have to empathize with everything that everyone is going through. You don't have to, it's like an energy exchange. Like if somebody is telling you something, you don't have to match their frequency. You could literally just be there. It's okay to not offer anything back on, on that aspect. If you're a white cis male and you can't understand or res respect or whatever, like relate to what I've gone through, like if I just sit there and say, let me cry today, then let me cry. Like, like let me cry. Um, just take what I'm saying and don't try to challenge it. That's another thing too. People try to challenge experiences. Well, are you sure that it didn't happen because of this? Or are you sure? No, like, like this is what happened and this is how I felt. And it was very, very real. Um, and don't try to downplay something either because like you haven't experienced it. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a white man, but if a white man tells me, hey, guess what? Like, I'm kind of tired because I feel like people are attacking white men. Okay, I can see your point. Like, that's all right. Like, do you need to cry? Do you need a hug? Like, let's hug it out. Like, that's all I'm saying. Um, listening. And like even not responding goes such a long way um, with things that are revolutionary. I'll say that 
because it's like you can be an ally for a lot of change and it just simply takes being silent being silent so that the other voices can speak that's a really that's that's a good way that i can put that out so sometimes like in this kind of state you don't want to be silent like at the protest or like with like law reform but there are times where you need to really just be quiet zip it and let the other people have like have some say in it because those are the people that are going to tell you what needs to be changed and how to change it awesome thank you thank you so before we leave is there anything else you'd like to tell us um I mean, if you want pierogies, I can give you some pierogies. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, actually, so I, I will share something with you. This is actually a, a cool way to end this conversation. So I was working in a coffee shop in Carlisle here, and this woman came in, and she was from Czechoslovakia. And she was looking at me, and, like, we both were, like, looking at each other, and, and I was like, what's like this is weird and then she had an accent and i was like where's your accent from and she said oh i'm from czechoslovakia and i said that's interesting i was like because my mom is and she said you look like somebody that's in our village and she goes but your skin is just a little bit darker i don't know if you'll be able to see this but this is a picture i took with her um yeah it's weird because we do look like each other to a point you know like and it, it's crazy because that's my point. We're all connected um, to a certain degree. Somebody could walk into your boutique tomorrow and be like, hey, I feel like I, I know your face um, from somewhere. So again, they say that beauty is only skin deep. I believe the connect connections are spirit deep. So, and thank you for allowing me to come on here and just share some of my story and just share and thank you for thank you for your putting yourself out there. I know these are not easy conversations. I know they touch nerves. They can be difficult. They can be emotional. They can bring out a lot of past traumas. Uh, so it's not easy for everyone to come out like this and speak and be available on a very public platform. Uh, so I really appreciate that. I respect that. And thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to walk in your shoes for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm actually barefoot right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for that and have a good day. You too. Okay. <laughs>